God bless you guys. It's um, good to see you all. I thank God for the opportunity that we can all get together and still continue to speak God's word and God's truth. So I want to welcome you all. Um, so I know it's crazy days um, and as, as, as wild as things seem to get, God is always in control and there's a peace that, that comes upon the children of God, the people of God. So we can take that peace and live that peace. I'm not saying that there won't be any fears or anxieties. Uh, it's part of being in the, in the humanness of, of life. But there is a, a guarantee of peace to those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing with one another. This is what fellowship is. So, yes, um, crazy days, crazy days indeed. Um, but they are, they're not new days. They're not new days. Um, if you would if you were to look at history and to, to look at the things and events that have taken place in the past, um, this isn't uh, a new thing. It's just a different new, I guess. It's a different new. Um, but there has been different plagues and pestilences and different things that have happened in the world. Um, however, the state that we're in is a slightly different dimension. It's a different state. Um, but I want to encourage you guys that in the end, in the end, that God has been and will always be in control, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how gentle they are, no matter how hard they are, God is always in control. So let's bow our heads in prayer because I've got something I want to share with you uh, this morning. I know some of you are probably hopping on to, to listen to uh, the study on Daniel. I'm going to put that on hold, if you don't mind. It'll give people time to actually go online and actually study or look at the Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3. Um, that's online. So by the time I get to Daniel chapter four, um, we're, we're all ready. So I'm going to put that on hold just for, for today and, and as, as the Lord leads. Um, but let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we give you this, this morning, Lord God, we give you this opportunity, Lord Jesus, as we gather together to listen to your truths. I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit, that even now that you would work in the hearts of all the hearers, that you would speak your word and speak it truthfully, Lord God, I pray, Father, that I would be a, a, an instrument in your hand, that you would put me aside, Lord God, and just speak, Lord Jesus, that you would speak, that every eye and every ear that is willing to hear, that they may hear your words, not mine, Father, that they would hear your truths, not mine, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you cast every obstacle, every stumbling block, everything that hinders us from seeing your face clearly, I pray. I pray for the ears, Lord God, that have gathered. I pray for the hearts that have come. I pray that you would grant us, Lord God. We're hungry. We want to learn. We want to eat. We want to know you, Lord God, in these desperate days, we pray. Speak to us, I pray, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So turn with me to First um, John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. I want to share with you something that I, I've been thinking about because I've been looking at this uh, idea of, of the end days and the end times and and it's, it's caused me to look, you know, more and more intently into the scriptures. And um, I want you to look at First John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, um, the things that, that I've been thinking about and meditating on um, and how the Lord has, has kind of led me to this passage because I'm contemplating, Lord, what do we do? Uh, what do we do with, with the church? How, how do we navigate through this time? Like how do we get this Zoom happening and so that people can continue with God's word? It's a big challenge to make sure that, that those who, who are of us don't kind of sway off and, and don't kind of get this, uh, distressed to the point where they're kind of gone. 
Uh, it's our responsibility to go after the little lamb or the little sheep. It just kind of came into the fold, you know, but then all of a sudden, bang, it's kind of this separation that's trying to come in and divide or separate the fellowship. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I've been thinking, Lord, how do we do this? You know, what, what do we do? What is the Christian, what is the Christian's duty? And I was, I've been reading about the, the plagues in the past. Uh, in 1918, the, the Spanish flu pandemic that occurred, that hit the globe, uh, was quite a, a devastating time and also for the church as well. And, and the church had to navigate through this time. And it's interesting to see uh, what they did at that time, like how they navigated and, and how pastors became really creative to try and keep the word of God alive. But at the same time, much, much like today, keep the church of God safe and, and, and the rest of the world. Um, and it's really interesting how they did that. Like uh, there was an article where they um, would basically, the pastors would send their families home and would encourage their family to continue in worship and keep in fellowship with one another. And, and what they did is they, they printed out in newspapers and articles the sermons that were going to be given on the Sunday and families were at home reading these sermons in 1918. And that's how they continued the word of God to, to stay alive. Um, they were reading sermons. Father, father would pick up the newspaper and read the sermon. And I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome when maybe God is drawing men to rise up now and, and basically lead your, your family in worship, lead your family um, into the word of God. It's, it's uh, your duty as a man. It's your duty um, as, as, as someone who's leading the, your, your own little sheep to, to be in fellowship with the Lord, to, to be reading, to be studying God's word and making time with the family. Um, and that's what they did. That's what pastors, they sent them home and they said, you know, read the sermons, read the sermons. And then, of course, there were other Christians at that time who had all different perspectives on how to deal with the issue. But I was led to this verse here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. And I want to read this for you because it spoke to my heart and spoke to my life. And, and, and I pray that you, you would see this passage as it is, as the Lord has intended it to be in his word. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, it says this, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. What, what really struck me about this verse, quite simply, is this, is that, that John is writing his first letter. It's his first letter to the church, which is an interesting thought because what that meant is that he wouldn't have needed the letter if he's talking to his own congregation at that moment in that, in that particular local wall, you know, that he was in. Um, it, it, he wrote a letter to a distant fellowship, a distant people. They weren't close to him, just like we are today with Zoom. You know, we're not in the same room together. But this letter that goes out to these people that are scattered all, all uh, different churches where they were reading the, the letter of John. They were reading the letter of John. They're mostly the Gentile world. We're reading the letter of John. And he's saying something quite remarkable. What he's talking about, he's, he's urging the church to understand the things that he had seen and the things that he had heard. And that the reason why he's telling them this was so that he, they can have fellowship with him which is quite fascinating. He's telling them who are distant these truths of God that they may have fellowship with him. 
but he's at a different location. He's not in the same place. So what does he mean when he talks about fellowship? What does it mean when he talks about, I'm telling you this so that you can have fellowship, really real fellowship, true, true fellowship um, with me. What does it mean? Well, it tells us a lot. It tells us that fellowship isn't about a building. It tells us fellowship isn't about a church. It's not about, you can be in the same room with someone and still not be in fellowship with them. And there's a, there's a whole misunderstanding of fellowship. Community isn't fellowship. Um, conversation isn't fellowship. Uh, you can be in the same family and not have fellowship. But what John says here, truly, our, my fellowship, our fellowship is with God the Father. That you also may have fellowship with us because truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is an amazing picture of fellowship. He's comparing the fellowship that he has with the Father and the Son. That's extraordinary. Fellowship that John has is with the fellowship of the Father and the Son. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. I mean, I think Sunday morning should be that kind of fellowship a fellowship that is with the Father and the Son. But I don't know whether we do that, like we have that intimate fellowship. Imagine having a fellowship with the Father. What kind of fellowship would that have been? The fellowship that Jesus had with his Father, what kind of fellowship would that have been? Would there have been any sin in that fellowship? Would there have been any unrighteousness? Would there have been any division? Would there have been any dirt? Would there have been any shame? Would there have been any um, lies? Or would there have been anything in that fellowship that he has with his father? It would have been the most wonderful and beautiful fellowship that could have ever existed. The love of the father and the love of the son. And John is saying that I'm part of this fellowship. That's extraordinary. It's got nothing to do with church or a building. It's got to do something far more greater than that. And it's got to do with the words that he's trying to pen down to the church to tell them, this is why I have fellowship with the Father and the Son. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the fellowship that the Father and the Son have, that Christ was the light of the world. He was the representation of God the Father, his message, his word. He pointed his finger directly to heaven. He did everything that the Father wanted him to do. He did it perfectly. He never stumbled or, or, or made any error or mistake. This was this perfect union that he had with the Father. And he welcomes you and I into this kind of fellowship. So it doesn't really matter where we, where we are. It doesn't matter whether we're at a building, whether at a home. What matters is the words that you hear spoken. It's like a letter that you're reading. And what matters is that you listen to these words and that you do according to this truth. Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And our freedom is indeed, indeed, in fellowship with God. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Listen to what he says John, uh, in John chapter 15, verse 9 to 11. Jesus, this is what Jesus says. Chapter 15, verse 9. 
as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in me, in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the essence of fellowship with God. What is the essence? How do I abide? How do I live in this union? How do I, how, how do I come into Christ? He says to me that I need to abide in this love. This is the essence of fellowship. I need to be in him. I need to be in him. Just like I am in the Father, I need you to be in me. This is what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. These are the words of Jesus Christ. But it's the same words that John writes in his letters where he says, and these things I write to you that your joy may be full. And this is the thing. Fellowship, fellowship with the Father is true joy. You can't find happiness or any other joy if it's outside of the Father. If you're wondering why or where your joy has gone, it's because it may not be the joy that Christ gives you when you what? He says, abide in me, do my commandments, and you will fulfill joy. So this is the days that we're in at the moment, where the world comes in to kill and to destroy your joy, your peace. But we know that they can't do that. That can't happen. Not when I'm in obedience to him. Not when he tells me that when I obey him, in that commandment to love and dwell in him is the very essence to my joy. No one can take that from me. No one can take obedience. No one can take my abiding. No one can take that from me. And that is your secret to joy. That is the essence of your joy. You want to be happy in gloomy days, in troubled days? You want to be at peace in catastrophe? You can't. You can't unless you do one thing. You obey the king. You abide in him and you continue to love because if you love him, you'll do what he says. He's the secret to fellowship. And when you do this, you love man because the God who is divine gives you a love that man can't break it's divine it's not human the devil the jews used to have a have a tradition when they when when uh like a, like a story when lucifer was cast out of heaven he was asked a question when he was cast into hell what he missed out the most in his former life in heaven and he replies i miss the most the sound of the trumpets in the morning. I think it's beautiful. The sound of the trumpets in the morning. Imagine waking up in heaven and there's the sound of joy that just booms out because there's the presence of God. Imagine that you hear the voice of God in your life in the midst when everyone has gone in doubt or confusion and all the attacks are happening, but you wake up to the booming trumpet of God's voice that fills your heart with joy. Listen to this. Joyfulness is characteristic of the soul that lives in communion with God. 
And that soul unconsciously will persuade others to taste and see that the Lord is good and that blessed is the man who trusts in him. See, sometimes Christians make the mistake of talking too much than showing too little joy and the pleasantness around the being in Christ. All the jargon and all the language and all the theology in our minds and in our heads and in our hearts can't grant you joy. You can't muster up joy. It's not a psychological thing that you can try and pretend and positive thinking because when the day comes and you push and you're shoved, the only thing that you guarantee that's going to hold this joy is your obedience to God, the commandment of God to abide in him, that your joy may be full. Even Jesus saw the power of this joy. He, he knew, he knew the reality of how this joy comes. That when he prayed in John chapter 17, John chapter 17, verse 21 to 23, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How does the world believe that Jesus was sent? Because we abide in him and we are one with him. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. This is fellowship. What unites us as one? I'll tell you what unites us as one. What unites us as one is the common obedience that we live in faith to the supreme sovereignty of God. That's what makes us one. Not our theology, not our, what's in our head, but the fact that we are in complete obedience to the words of God, to love and abide and remain, abide in him. This is fellowship. This is fellowship. Right now, if you hear these words and you apply them to your life, then we have fellowship, one with another, to whoever hears, hears these words and applies it to their life. This is the essence of what Christ came to establish. He didn't come to give a building. He didn't come to give you a Sunday morning. He came to unite the hearts of man to abide in the presence of God, to be in Christ, just like Christ was in the Father. This is so significant. It's so important that even Jesus demonstrated this in his own life. When there was a time when he was in a room and all the people pressed hard, they all came and it was like, like a, like a, like a, uh, a whole village was outside the door and, and, and Jesus was inside this, this house and they all pressed hard to want to see him so much that even his own family were outside. And it's, it's, it's an amazing passage because when you kind of look and contemplate it in Luke chapter 8, verse 19 to 21, the reality of it is it's hard to perceive. Luke chapter 8, verse 19 to 21, then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. Verse 20, and it was told him by certain which said, listen to these words. Certain people came in and they told Jesus, your mother and your brethren stand without. 
desiring to see you. They desired to see him. Isn't that what we want everyone to do? Desire to see Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, it isn't like good news. Like, wouldn't you be wrapped? You know, look, these people, they desire to see you. But it's fascinating because look at the response that Jesus says. Verse 21, and he answered and said unto them, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Well, I don't have a family. My family are those who obey the word of my father and does it. No matter how you, how you look at it, they might turn around and they say to him, Jesus, that's a bit cruel. <laughs> Jesus, that's what kind of a son are you? Jesus, all the religious leaders would have looked at him as some kind of a, a rebellious um, child. Did they not look like someone who desired him? Yes, of course they did. Did they not look like someone who wanted him? Of course they did. But something stopped them from coming in. And so they wanted to fix that up. But Jesus didn't fix it. He actually made a point of it. He said, I don't belong to anything in this world. I don't belong to anything in this world other than the one thing. I'm abiding in the Father and I'm doing his will. And anyone who does the same thing, they are my family. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? It's pretty strong. So this is why it's important for us to keep going the way we're going, keep Zooming, keep preaching, keep teaching, keep learning, to bring every person to this truth. You can't be in fellowship. You can't be in the family of God unless you are abiding in him and you are obeying him. I'm not saying, listen, listen, I'm not saying you may be troubled right now. You may be someone who hasn't been obeying him and you may be someone who, who um, rejected him. You may be someone who doesn't care much about him. And that's okay. Listen, what I'm saying is today, don't worry about yesterday, today, are you in obedience to God? Are you in obedience to God? And it doesn't matter yesterday. It doesn't matter how far. But today, are you in obedience? And if you're not, it's okay. Come. Come and obey the command of God to repent, to turn and follow me. You can do that even now. And then understand the joy that God gives you. Not the joy that you've tried to muster up for yourself in money and wealth and prestige and whatever it was. Obviously, the world should tell you right now that all those things are vain. They're, they're insignificant. You can't even hold on to them. No matter how much you sweat and try, they, they, just, they, they drip through your fingers. You can't even gain them as much. There is no power within you right now to hold on to life. Do what you can, however you can. It is not within your hands. But I know my life is in the hand of God. My life is in the hand of God because I've committed my life to him like we all have. Those who have committed their life to him and obey him and follow him understand what Jesus meant when he says, my mother and my father, brothers and my sisters, are those who do the will of God. So much so, and this is a, it's almost like the most misunderstood passage in the Bible today. It wasn't misunderstood maybe 20, 50 years ago. But today, it's like a very much debated verse. It's absurd. When Jesus even demonstrated what he said about his, his mother and brethren, that 
the ones who obey me are the ones who the, the ones who love me are the ones who obey the father and then part of my family so much so that he tells everyone everyone if any man Luke chapter 14 verse 26 if any man come to me and hate and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yes his own life also he can't be my disciple there, there is no relationship there is no there's no fellowship here he can't unless he hates so what does that mean he hates does jesus hate does, is, is Jesus a, a propagator of hate? Is this, is this his teaching? No, it's, it's what he demonstrated here when I was trying to press in to come and see him. He says that, no, you don't understand. The most important thing in this whole world isn't the relationships you have. It's not what you own or what you hold. It's obeying God, my father. And if you obey God, my father, then I'm yours. You're mine. We're brothers. We belong together. All that matters is that you come and abide in me as I am in the Father because this is why I came. I came for this whole reason. I came for you to dwell in me in full obedience, just like I was in full obedience to God. This is fellowship. And then everything else doesn't matter. And that's why he uses the term hate because it's not like it, 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 it's hate. It's a term that's based on the fact that anything that hinders me, I resent. Anything that hinders me or stops me from fully pledging my life to him, I despise. I, I, I can't handle, I can't tolerate. Even if it means something so close to me, something so precious to me, that thing becomes something that, that is disgusting if it hinders me from being in fellowship with my God. Because God is all in all. He's the greatest. There is nothing greater than him. Nothing of this world can measure up to anything that God is, no matter whether it's alive or whether it's not alive. Whatever it is, no matter how powerful your emotions are towards that thing, it's insignificant. The only things that matter are our obedience to abide in Christ, to dwell in him just like Jesus was with the Father. It's, it's really... It's, it's, it's really interesting how people, they struggle with this idea. What does it mean? Does that mean uh, that I can't bury my dad if he dies? And then and, and Jesus tackles these issues. He, he speaks to them. But in the end, he's not concerned so much about your actions. He's concerned so much about where the state of your heart is. Why do you want to bury your father? Is it because you're owning an inheritance? Is it because you want to still establish your life? You still want to live and not die? What is it that you hold on to? And why are you holding on to it? And so while everyone is judging what the hands are doing, God is looking beyond the hand and looking straight at the heart and asking, what do you do? Why are you doing what you do? Why are you, do why are you acting like this? Why are you speaking like that? Is it, is it because you are desiring the truths of God or is it because you somehow appease your own selfishness, your own pride, something, something that allows you to continue to live, something that establishes you? And Jesus, I don't want any, I'll have none of that. I'll have none of that. In fact, when we read, when Jesus endured the cross in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, listen to this verse. And, and the writer of Hebrews encourages us, encourages us to look at Jesus. He says this, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, who for joy, who for joy he set before him endured the cross. It was a joyous thing for Jesus to endure the very thing that everyone would run away from. But listen to this. Why? Because he despised the shame. He hated that very thing that was a hindrance to the reconciliation of man to God. He despised that very thing, that sin that brings shame upon the world. He despised it. He hated it. And with joy, he endured the cross because he hated that thing so much. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, in Jude, it also tells us the same thing. When we preach to people, and some in chapter 1, verse 22, and some have compassion on when you're preaching, teaching, making a difference. Verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So this is where it's at. The one who fellowships in Christ hates the very thing that hinders that fellowship, hates that very thing that, that becomes the obstacle or the stumbling block to that fellowship, to the abiding, anything that's going to throw them off, anything that's going to push them away, that very thing they despise and they hate. They do what they can to keep the word of God, keep abiding. I want to share with you something that um, when we talk about this, this joy that really kind of struck, struck me. In these days of trials and in, in these days of hardship, really in the end, what's going to keep you alive is not the things that, you know, the world is telling you to do, you know, do some gardening now. Um, maybe it's time to uh, clean up and fix up and look at, like you go to Bunnings and there's a huge line because people need to entertain themselves, you know. What you need to do is a great opportunity to isolate yourself for a time, for a season, and get things right with God. Get it right with the Lord because he's given you that time. Every distraction, everything that was hindering you and stopping you, your money, your, your work, your job, your time, it's all done. It's finished. Use this time wisely and get to know the Lord that you always probably wanted to know. Study, read his word, abide in him. Let him examine your heart and put it before him while you have a, an opportunity, like a, 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 a monastery. You know, you don't need to be locking yourself up. God's, God's locked you up. C.S. Lewis, um, and I got this thing I thought was interesting. In 1942, wrote a few words regarding Satan, who says, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down business, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. And this is the response that Jesus gives. 
I will bring together neighbors, restore the family unit. I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. Now, I don't know where this, this came from, but it, but it was sent to me. And I thought, well, whether it's real or not real, how true are these words? That what the devil wants to hinder and shove and push your faith away, the Lord turns it around and he prospers it. He prospers it like a, like a rose that grows out of thorns. Something always beautiful, always beautiful grows out of whatever catastrophe or devastation occurs when the Lord is in control. When the Lord is in control. It's always a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, and I'll, I want to I, I just finish here. It's always a beautiful thing that though we be separated, that the word of God is the very thing that unites us. When our hearts are, are fueled or infused because someone's just sent a text message that has the words of Christ, the words of life. It's always a beautiful thing that I can't touch you and I may not see you. That when you send a message or, or a scripture, that our hearts are connected by this truth that we, we acknowledge, not with our head, but with our life. I know what you mean, bro. I know what you mean, sister. I feel this. I know this. Thank you. And this is where fellowship is. We need to be abiding in him first, obeying in him, and then we connect with one another. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Let me, let me uh, slow it down. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, because this is what's going to cast you out of the fellowship. Don't be deceived. And while today is called today, keep exhorting, encouraging, challenging, uh, strengthening one another because sin is lurking at the door, ready to take control over those whose faith is weak. That's why in the book of Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 10 to 26, brothers and sisters, listen to this verse. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So don't get caught up thinking, oh, it's not a church, it's not a building. No, don't get caught up not coming. Well, we can to pray together, to Zoom together, to listen to God's word together. Well, today is today. And as we see the day drawing near, don't be slack. Don't be casual about the attendance of God's word. I pray that you can hear what I'm saying. I pray that you understand that fellowship is an obedience to God and that we ought to be encouraging consistently one another to keep obeying. Abide, abide. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord God, I pray, Father, that your word 
has gone out and it's spoken to those who you are seeking, who you are calling, who you are drawing closer to you. I pray, Lord God, that as we have our heads bowed, that your Holy Spirit even now will work and move in everyone's life. The ones that you've called to this place to listen. Father, well, today is today. Work and move in our lives. If there's any hardness, any, any sin, anything that's a hindrance, I pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, make it known before it's too late, before sin deceives us and casts us away. Bless this church, Lord God. Bless every member, every person. Bless them abundantly with peace and grace and goodness. Bless them, Lord God, by your grace that leads us to draw closer to you. Bless them, keep them safe, guard them from the evil one. Protect them from all illness or disease or sickness, I pray, according to your goodness. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.